everyone. Thank you for listening in on today's podcast. Today, I am joined by representatives from the Undocumented Black Network and African Communities Together for a conversation on the Liberian Refugee, Refugee Immigration Fairness Provision, or LARIF for short. My first guest is Brianne Palmer, who is the Interim Policy and Advocacy Director at the Undocu Black Network. The Undocu Black Network is a multi-generational network of over 600 currently and formerly undocumented Black immigrants that fosters community, facilitates access to resources, and advocates and advocates to transform the realities of our people so that we are thriving and living our fullest lives. Brianne is a first-generation American with her family hailing from Jamaica. Brianne cares deeply about Black immigrant issues and building solidarity between Black Americans and Black immigrants. My second guest is Yaka Kiazolu from African Communities Together, or ACT for short. African Communities Together is an organization of African immigrants fighting for civil rights, opportunity, and a better life for our families here in the U.S. and worldwide, connecting African immigrants to critical services, helping Africans develop as leaders, and organizing our communities on the issues that matter. Yata is a LRIF beneficiary who successfully obtained her green card and citizenship in 2021. Currently, she is a communications assistant at African Communities Together and a University of California President's Postdoctoral Fellow at UC San Diego in the Department of Ethnic Studies. As always, this is the Immigration Advocates Network. We harness the power of technology and collaboration to support immigrants and their allies. My name is Treshawn Dennis-Brown, and I work within the organization as an AmeriCorps VISTA to help improve access to justice. And with that, I'd like to, you know, get everything started and hand it over to Brianne, who will, you know, sort of give us a summary about the LIRIF program and the initiative. Brianne, do you want to take us off? Thank you so much, Trey. Um, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. It's exciting to be here with Yata, who um, we know very well at Undocumented Black. Um, so the, the Liberian Refugee Immigration Fairness Program, also known as LRIF or LRIF, depending on where you're from or what, how you like to pronounce it, is a historic program that passed through Congress in 2019 attached to the National Defense Authorization Act. Um, it is a program that opens up a new pathway to citizenship for Liberian immigrants who've been living in the U.S. since November 2014 and who meet some other eligibility requirements. Um, this was an incredible, that was, this was the incredible result of decades of organizing in the Liberian community, in the larger Black immigrant community, to get this program passed through Congress under the last administration. Um, it is one of the first pathways to citizenship passed through Congress in many decades, and it specifically benefits Black immigrants, which makes it so special and so close to us at Undocu Black, the folks that act in other Black immigrant organizations who've been um, leading this fight for a long time. So as I mentioned, the program allows Liberians who've been living in the U.S. since 2014, November 2014 specifically, this means they can apply for green cards, which means lawful permanent residence. And in many cases, depending on um, you know, when you got here and, and some of the rules that USCIS is applying, if you're approved for LORIF, you might be able to naturalize as a U.S. citizen right away. You'd be eligible to naturalize right away. And so this, this program is literally changing lives. And I know that Yata will talk about her experience, but the program is very special in, in that it is historic, it is specifically for Black immigrants, and it opens up a new pathway, a direct pathway to citizenship that Liberian folks have not had um, in the U.S. since 
and the first grant of temporary protected status and deferred enforced departure status for Liberians. Um, the U.S. boasts, you know, talks a lot about a special a relationship with Liberia. There's a reason why for 30 plus years we have been offering at least temporary status to Liberians living in the U.S. who have been fleeing civil wars and other conditions that make it difficult or dangerous to return to the country. And so this program came out of that special relationship. And one of the reasons why we're here today is the deadline to apply for the program is coming up soon. We're fighting to extend the deadline or eliminate it altogether. But at the moment, people only have until December 20th of this year, 2021, to apply for the program and get their applications into USCIS. So I'll stop there and, and hand it back to you, Trey, but I'm happy to answer other questions. I actually did want to have one more question, Brianne. Sorry to swing it back to you. But do you want to talk a little bit about the days of action that happened last month? Yes. So it, we we had Undocu Black um, both in, in 2019, 2020, and definitely this year as we got the deadline extension um, to this December. We've been actively working with USCIS in advocacy meetings, and we've also been trying to do outreach in the community make sure that everyone who might be eligible for LARIF knows about it and is able to apply with an attorney and then have some financial assistance. So the days of action that Undocu Black and African Communities Together and the Black Alliance for Just Immigration and the Black Immigrant Collective hosted last month concentrated on the fact that the deadline is impending. Um, we did we had a press call with Representative Dean Phillips, who is a LARIF champion on the Hill. He spoke out about the need to get rid of the deadline altogether. Um, we arranged for Liberian folks in the US and just anyone who cares to call certain members of Congress to pressure them to get rid of this deadline. Um, and, and so those were just some of the, the uh, events that we had during our days of action. We did a week of action earlier this year with similar events, but really trying to, number one, get the word out to everyone who may be eligible for the program. And then also to, again, put pressure on both Congress to eliminate the deadline, but also on USCIS to start adjudicating these applications more quickly. Many people have been waiting on results of their applications for more than a year. Many people applied in 2020 and they still don't have an acceptance, a denial, or kind of any word from USCIS. So the week of action happened, the days of action happened, and they're all geared towards making sure this program is a success. All right. Thank you so much for that, you know, very precise summary. And I'm very happy for all the work that you and your colleagues at UndocuBlack do in, in conjunction with so many other Black organizations. And in light of everything that we've just talked about, you know, it's really great to sort of that we are joined here by a person who has personally benefited from LaRif. So, Yata, are you ready for a couple of questions? Yeah, let's go. All right. So my first question is, you know, before LaRif, what immigration status did you have or did you not have? And why did you feel it was necessary for you to apply to the program? Yeah, so um, thank you again for having me. I'm very excited to, to share about um, LaRiff. I came to the U.S. at six years old. Um, I had the unusual experience of being born in a third country. Um, I was born in Botswana. My parents were Liberian citizens, and so that's how I came to hold Liberian citizenship. Um, and so when I came to the United States, I came as a visitor. Um, my parents were in the process of trying to relocate back to Liberia, but because of the war, they couldn't. Um, and so I came to stay with family who were already established here. 
And I didn't know for a long time that I didn't have a status until um, I became a temporary protective status holder um, around 13 years old. And from 13 to 2021, I bounced between um, TPS or temporary protective status and deferred enforced departure. And so very much familiar with the, the kind of instability and the, the fears that come with um, these limbo statuses. And, and so because of that, we had made many attempts um, to, 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 to apply for permanent residency. When my grandmother became a citizen, she applied for my mother. I was still under 18 at the time. And um, so I would have been a derivative beneficiary, but it took decades. It took over a decade for that application to process. Um, my stepfather became a citizen and he applied for my mother and that's how my mom got her papers. Um, but I was over 21 at the time. And so just the difficulties that come with just even the normal process um, made it such that I I was in a very long, um, just sort of going through the red tape, right? That That is the green card process. And so when LRIF passed in, in 2019, I automatically knew that I was applying as soon as possible. Um, and I'm grateful that I had the support, right? From Undocu Black, from ACT, um, and, and other resources that made it possible for me to, to be able to get my materials, my financial, um, uh, the costs together to be able to apply um, as soon as possible. So LRF, um passed in December, 2019 and January, 2020, I have my application in. Well, um, first of all, congratulations. And I'm sorry that you had to deal with such a long and arduous process. Um, you talked about how, you know, various members of your family and their relationship to, you know, the the immigration process. You know, that's something I very much resonate with myself because actually, just like you, Brianne, I am also a first generation American with my family coming from Jamaica as well. And I'm like, Dennis Brown, I know that. <laughs> I was gonna ask you. Yeah, I get that a lot actually. <laughs> but um, you know my family also went through like similar processes as well to sort of get their papers. So with that in mind, you know, how have you seen you and your family and your community impacted by LARIF or even pre-LARIF, if that makes any sense? Yeah. Well, in my immediate family, we were a mixed status family. Um, it just so happened by the time that um, LARIF passed I was the only member of my family who, who my immediate family who didn't have papers. Um, and so after it passed, what I didn't know though was there was a woodwork of um, extended family came out the woodwork, just telling me how they excited they were about the program. I mean, in tears, literally telling me about this person that they, you know, that their daughter or their cousin or this person that, um, was going to benefit from the program people i didn't know and people i knew personally in my family but did not know they also didn't have papers and so that was probably one of the most um overwhelming but in the most positive way to see that impact just just within my own family um within a, the sort of extended community i've seen just more of that right people are very excited um people are relieved right that sense of relief that you I always describe it as having to hold my breath, right? I didn't even realize I'd been holding my breath this whole time. And then when I saw the physical <laughs> green card, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is this is real. Um, so there's a sense of relief that 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 folks have. Um, and 
it, it's something that's been a long time coming. Um, it, yeah, it's something that's been a long time coming, but there's still also fears, right? There's still also fears around because we know what it means to be black and dealing with the US federal government in this place. And so there are fears that people have, but I think that, you know, you know, having events like this and then the resources that that folks are working to get out there are are doing um are making way, right, in helping folks um get get their applications in. Yeah, uh, Yitzhak, that's a, that's a story that I feel, you know, very much would resonate with, you know, just about any sort of not only like Black person, but also undocumented, undocumented Black person. Mm-hmm. Knowing that so many of, so many people who look like us are going through that same scenario, I have to ask, you know, um, what kinds of support were you sort of seeking um, legally, but also personally? You mentioned previously that, you know, ACT and Black have been foundational in sort of your attempt to, in this process, but, you know, what other avenues did you seek for support? I was, um, so avenues that I sought out for support, I was fortunate that I was in school mm-hmm. um, when I was applying for this program, and undocumented, I went to the University of California, Los Angeles, and undocumented students have a very long history of, um, you know, making the university support us. And so we had a legal, um, we had legal services on our campus and um, those services were able to, she, our attorney there helped me put together my, my application, but even she was able to reach out to, to some of the resources from um, UndocuBlack and um, their partners, just, you know, because the program was brand new. Um, <laughs> and so there were still a lot of questions that people had when, when we were trying to get the application in as early as we were. I had questions around like, fears around my own work um, authorization history that I was like, I don't think they're going to approve this. I don't even want to apply. I was scared myself. And my attorney um, and other folks in my life were able to afford, you know, offer me emotional support just to say, like, we have to do this. Like, we're going to make sure we're going to fight it to the very end, but you have to get your application in. And so they pushed me over that, over that fear. Um, and then even financial resources, the school was able to help me put together um the the cost for um the application application fees and so i'd say like the legal support the financial support and the emotional support were were instrumental in helping me get through this process all right thank you so much for talking about you know your personal experience and thank you for answering my questions you know so thoughtfully and i'm so glad that you know everything has sort of worked out for you but you know obviously that there are so many more who are still yet to sort of even have knowledge about the benefits of LARIF or don't even know that the deadline is coming up. Absolutely. So so with that in mind, you know, I definitely want to start changing gears a bit, you know, open it back up to Brianne on the policy matters, but also Yatal, feel free to chime in at any point on sort of your personal experiences. Um, Is that okay with both of you? Yes. All right. So my first question is, you know, where do people go to find out more about LRIF and whether they are eligible? So I, I am going to shamelessly plug the UndocuBlack um, LRIF resource hub, which was actually, it, it is housed on UndocuBlack's website, but the uh, our colleagues at African Communities Together contributed to most of it. So it is very much our shared resource hub. Um, you can find that at undocuBlack.org backslash LRIF, L-R-I-F. Um, in that resource hub, we have everything you could possibly um, look for 
if you want to figure out what the LARIF program is, we have a description of it. We have an eligibility um, section as well as an eligibility quiz that you can take to see if, at least initially, you might be eligible. Um, we also have re resources like financial assistance. We're offering $750 per person to go towards their application fees, which can be extremely expensive. And we also maintained this year a directory nationwide of low bono and pro bono attorneys who are already familiar with the LARIF program. They've already been doing applications that can assist people either in their state or remotely since the pandemic is not ending anytime soon. Um, we have how-to guides if people are really motivated and, and feel confident and want to maybe submit a FOIA request, that's a Freedom of Information Act request, to get their immigration records to make sure they're not surprised by anything um, that USCIS brings up at their interviews. We have a lot of different resources that we try to make very accessible. There's also um, a comment box where if you have questions, you can submit them directly to Black, and we, we receive those directly into our inboxes so we can, we can point you in the right direction, we can answer any questions as much as, much as we're able to. So, so that's just a taste of some of the resources we have on our website. You can, of course, go directly to USCIS's website, but we find that USCIS websites can be a little bit, they can be difficult to understand. They're not really laid out to be um, kind of real person friendly. We've tried to make our resource hub geared more towards people from all walks of life to make sure they can understand what the program is, how to apply, things to look out for. Um, we've also included some advice on our website about family members who may be eligible to get their green cards under LARIF. Another kind of incredible benefit of the program is that not only are principal applicants eligible, their family members might be too with some different requirements. So entire families can adjust their status under LARIF, get green cards and become citizens at the same time, which is again, I think like, like we heard from Yata, it, she was able to exhale for the first time in, in quite a long time. And I think that feeling of relief is reflected in the community and we are waiting for more people to feel that way as USCIS works through um, the applications they have pending. Thanks for, thanks for answering the question. Uh, just so you know, on this podcast, we very much enjoy um, shameless uh, plugs. So by all means, continue whenever you want to. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, Yata, uh, my second question, I'll, you know, I'll direct to you. And I just, I just want to ask, you know, do you remember what kind of documents you needed to apply to the LARIF program? Yes, I have vivid memories of trying to collect all those documents. Uh, so I remember collecting bank records, um, school records, um, anything that would prove that I've been in the United States consistently since 2014, W-2s, any kind of income records as well. Um, those are the ones that come to mind immediately because I've been in school so long, it was easy to prove that I had been in school since 2014, um, along with work documents were the probably easiest ones to access. Um, Rianne, do you have anything to add to that, you know, from a specific policy framework? I honestly think that Yata covered it. Um, I, I would say, I, I would say for people who are, are thinking of applying, um, don't count yourself out. Don't, don't, take kind of rumors or, or word of mouth to determine whether you're eligible. Do your very, very best to find an attorney ASAP, like I said, on Dr. Black has resources for that. Find an attorney as soon as you possibly can and get, get whatever 
quality application in you can manage by December 20th. And what you can do after that is submit supplemental information. So if you don't have you know, your passport right now, you can explain to USCIS that you are in the process of getting your passport. You can do the same thing for other documents. So I, I know that time is very short. You know, there's only two full weeks until the deadline, but I would say don't count yourself out if you haven't applied yet. Um, just put in an application before the deadline comes and you know, you'll be able to deal with anything else that comes after that. But we're really hoping that people will apply in a timely fashion at this point because we are not certain whether the deadline is going to be extended or eliminated altogether. So this, this may be our last chance to make this program a success. Okay, all right, <clears throat> sorry. Um, my next question I will direct to you, Brianne. Um, how does LARIF differ from other protections like DACA or a temporary protected status? Um, the, the difference between LARIF and DACA, TPS, DED, they're just totally different animals. I'm sure Yata will have you know, some real world perspective on this, but um, the LARIF program leads directly to green cards and green cards mean the next best thing to citizenship. It means you are protected or have much more protection from deportation if you have a green card. That means you can basically stop living in limbo. You can work without limitation. You can pursue your higher education if that's something that you're interested in, in pursuing. You can really put down roots that are not constantly um, under threat of being ended with a new presidential administration. Um, statuses like DACA and TPS and DED, they're all temporary. They all require um, pretty routine renewals, which number one, costs money, and number two, you never quite know if you're going to be approved again. So many people in the Liberian community, I, I know they know this well, they've been applying for these temporary statuses for many years, for decades. They're used to worrying, you know, is this going to be the last grant of TPS or DED? Is this president going to be the one that revokes this program and forces me to uproot myself when I've been here for 25 years or 15 years? Um, so I, I would say that LARIF is, a, LARIF is an ideal program in that it opens a new pathway to citizenship. It provides the stability, the permanence, the support that people are looking for, especially um, Liberian folks who've been here for quite a long time. Oh, with that in mind, um, that reminds me, Yata, have you had any sort of uh, specific interaction with any of these more temporary um, immigration procedures before, before your time applying for LARIF? Yes, before LARIF, I was a DED holder primarily, um, but we also bounced back between um, deferred enforced departure and temporary protective status. So there are times when I even have both of them at the same time, um, though I never applied for DACA because it felt like the same, more of the same. Um, and just like Brianne had mentioned, it we are very much used to having to apply for these programs year after year. And the thing about them is that everything ends with them. Your work authorization ends with the programs, your driver's license are tied to your work authorization. And so your whole life becomes interrupted by um, these temporary temporary programs and you don't know what's gonna happen next. Like I've had experiences of um, suddenly having to quit all my jobs, all my side jobs, because my work authorization hadn't been improved in time. And so LARIF um, offers, right, that, that permanency that, that you need to be able to just live a normal day-to-day -day life without having these huge interruptions um, that that the temporary programs um, impose on folks. 
thank you for that. Thank you for, as always, for sharing your story. Um, this question I'm going to direct to the both of you. You know, either one of you can take up the mantle first, but how would the Liberian community benefit from not having a deadline to apply? As we previously noted, the current deadline is December 20th, and that seems to be the final deadline, and we don't know whether there will be an extension ever. So if that were not the case, what would be the benefits from that? I can, I can take this first. There, there are benefits that are twofold to me. Um, number one, Liberians, like everyone else in the country, have been dealing with the fallout from the pandemic, right? The, just the, the health consequences and also the financial and employment consequences. Applying for LARIF is very expensive. Um, the application to adjust your status is more than $1,000 per person, and that isn't including biometrics fees and employment authorization application fees. You know, this is this is quite an expensive endeavor, especially if, like I mentioned, you, your entire family is eligible. You need time potentially to raise those funds or get those funds from community and from organizations. So people need more time to raise the money to benefit from this program and apply um, in a comfortable fashion. Um, USCIS does offer fee waivers, but we've seen that they've been inconsistently um, granted to people. We've heard from people who would certainly meet the, meet the requirements who haven't gotten their fees waived by USCIS. So people need more time to recover financially from the pandemic and to raise the money they need to apply for this program. I would also say many people um, have not been able to find legal representation. You know, folks can apply on their own. That's, that's certainly something you can do. But I would say, I always recommend that in a scenario like this, you talk to an attorney, whether they are a low bono, pro bono, or someone that you pay, talk to a professional who knows how to interact with USCIS knows kind of all of the, the trap doors and the other booby traps that um, can, can really hinder anyone's ability to successfully apply for a program like this. So folks need more time to find their attorneys. I'd also say that many people um, have been trying to get their documents together for a long time. You know, the logistics, again, of the pandemic have meant that offices have been closed, including embassies and consulates, places where people can get the documents required to apply for the program have been either shut down or have been very slow to take up those kinds of issues. And so many people are, they want to apply and maybe they're trying to apply before the deadline, but they don't have all the documents they need. And the do those documents are in process. Maybe they're waiting for them. So removing the deadline would ease that pressure on people who are trying to get their stuff together, but are at the mercy of other organizations or other agencies that are also still recovering from COVID. We know we've heard um, in our advocacy, we've been talking to the Liberian Embassy and some of the consulates, and they're doing their best to um, you know, meet their own needs, but also to meet the needs of, of the Liberian folks to go to them for documentation, for support in situations like this. So there are, there are a million more reasons why this deadline should not exist, but those are the three kind of top in my mind. Uh, and that's facing the Liberian community. Frankly, USCIS needs more time too. They've been, they've been taking more than a year to process most of the LRIF applications. They are, thanks to the last four years of the Trump administration, USCIS was gutted as an agency and they are still recovering from all the damage that was done um, in the last administration. And so they're facing a backlog of millions of applications, including LARIF ones. So they need more time to right the ship, get their stuff together and adjudicate these applications fairly and consistently. You know, all year long, our advocacy, us, ACT and some of the other black immigrant organizations have been talking to them all year long, telling them about the real world effects of their policy choices, telling them about people like Yata and other folks who are trying to apply, are in the process and are facing obstacles. 
and their most recent adjustment to their policy manual, that's USCIS, their most recent um, clarification in the policy manual was October 29th, which is less than two months before the deadline. So when they make changes like that, people need time to respond to those changes, make their applications stronger, to make their, their chances better. And so we, we need more time as the Black immigrant community, Liberians need more time, but USCIS also needs more time. So everything points to getting rid of this deadline or at least extending it for another year, ideally met multiple years. But I'll pass it to Yata for more perspective. I think you rounded that out perfectly, Brian. <laughs> All right. Um, the, actually, though, the next question I will direct to you, Yata. Um, this might be a little reductive, um, considering you know everything that we said about the benefits of LRIF, for that matter. But as a person who's previously juggled, you know, DED and TPS status, you know, what were the benefits of your application to LRIF being finally approved? And what is it like, you know, now having a green card? The, bene the benefits, right. Um, primarily, so I was in school while I was processing, while my application was processing. And so one of the most, um, most immediate um, advantages or I would say relief that the that the program offered is that I could finish school um, up until that point with uh, DED um, sort of on the chopping block under under the last administration I was trying to figure out what was going to happen with the rest of my um, with the rest of my program would I be able to finish school do I need to move all sorts of things were up in the air and having the application in at least gave me the sense that like, I, I knew that I could finish and that I needed to finish um, as soon as possible and so when when Larif was um, approved it it sort of just gave me a sense that I could plan out the rest of my life right without feeling like there were going to be any major um, major major interruptions um i as soon as i got my green card i immediately turned around and applied for for citizenship which i think is the benefit one the of the biggest benefits benefit. of of the riff um so i got my green card in january 2021 and february 2021 i applied for citizenship um and i got that in june of 2021 i didn't expect that to process as fast as what as it did but i was very grateful for that and even just you know from a, um more recently just last week i i got back from liberia i was able to go home for the first time um and for me who someone who hadn't grown up in liberia but was a liberian citizen up until this year um it was a very big deal to be able to to see family i haven't seen um, have only talked to on the phone. I hadn't seen my biological father since I was like six years old. Um, and so it was a really special opportunity that, you know, programs like DED, TPS, they, they just don't grant you the opportunity to, 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 you know, make, make those kind of familial connections and just live a full, a full life, right? That, that we all deserve to live. Thank you. Um, Brienne, do you have any thoughts sad on that matter? Yet again, Yata summed it up perfectly. Mm -hmm. I, I make no addition. All right, that's that's all perfectly well and good. Um, this will be my last question. So I just want to you know before I get to it, thank you both for joining me here today and you know talking about you know Larif and personal experiences and policy questions. With all that in mind, 
you know, as part of our mission for both of you, what do you wish pro bono organizations knew about the process? How can they help? What can they be doing better? You know, what do you, what do you, what do you think, Brianne? Oh, this is a hard question. I, I think what pro bono organizations should know about the LARIF process is, I would say, you know, one, one of my goals as an attorney and as just as a person is making sure that attorneys understand the nuances and kind of the unique situations that Black immigrants are put in. Um, it, every Black immigrant case is not your typical case. You will face obstacles as their representative that may not be present with your other clients, right? There may be increased scrutiny of the documents that your Black immigrant client provides you and that you provide to USCIS. There might be you know, hostile interviews. There, the anti-Blackness will show up in a number of ways. And I challenge pro bono attorneys and pro bono organizations to not shy away in those moments from naming what's happening and from calling it out. I understand that you know, we, we have to, we walk a fine line between calling stuff what it is, naming racism, naming anti-Blackness, naming all the other isms and, and phobias that we understand while we also keep our clients' best interests in mind and want to defend them zealously and re represent them zealously. But I think that there is, there's a happy medium there. And I would just challenge attorneys, especially pro bono ones, to um, you know, follow UndocuBlack, follow African communities together, follow Black immigration organizations that are talking about the ways that attorneys can better represent Black immigrants. I know um, NIPNLG, that's the National Immigration Project of the National Lawyers Guild, is very skilled at, at this particular um, practice point. So I would say, don't don't be afraid of LARIF cases. Don't be afraid of, um, you know, kind of going out on a limb for Black immigrant clients because their their experience of already arduous immigration processes is is even worse than you might imagine. Um, I would say the ways that pro bono organizations organizations can help is connect with local um, Liberian organizations. Many. Cities and states have local Liberian business associations, Liberian community organizations, connect with them, offer your services, offer to do the quickest know your rights training about LARIF perhaps, you know, to find ways to plug into community because many, so we've heard from our outreach, you know, there are people who are still afraid to, there are people are afraid, some people are afraid to apply. They're afraid to make it known that number one, they don't have status or maybe they don't have permanent status. And perhaps they're also afraid of you know, surfacing to an agency like USCIS that is technically the Department of Homeland Security. So understanding that, you know, seeing seeing results in community, that's going to take time, going to take investment. And so start now, of course, there's the December 20th deadline, but keep up that community outreach and establish that trust and, and become kind of a pillar in your community and connect with these Black immigrant communities as much as you can. Thank you. Gotcha. Do you have any thoughts as a person who previously wanted to experience yourself? I, I guess I would reiterate what Brianne said about understanding what it means to be um, both Black, right, and an immigrant going going through this process or approaching this process. Um, like I mentioned earlier, like I had huge reservations around my work authorization history um, that made me really nervous about applying. Um, and it was my attorney, once again, who pushed me um, and prepared me, right? The most important piece, prepared me for the interview, prepared me for questions that might come up. And so like Brianne had mentioned, the FOIA requests were really important, um, important in helping me understand my own immigration history, which I think a lot of folks don't, don't 
might not even be aware of, right? That they've been here for so long um, that there are things in their own immigration past that they just don't even think about or haven't thought about in a really long time. And so they might not even have those sort of, um, you know, moments at, at present, right? When they're trying to apply. And so just helping folks be as prepared as possible, um, I think was really key for me to feel confident in the application process, but even after that, to feel confident in the interview and moving forward that um, my attorney had my back, that my family had my back, and that we were gonna fight it until the very end. And I think that having that support and having folks that knew that about the process and I knew that about my immigration history was, was really key for me. All right, you know, with all questions asked, I just wanted to, to say a final thanks to Brianne Palmer, Interim Policy and Advocacy Director at the Undocu Black Network, and Yata Kiazolu from African Communities Together. Um, with that in mind, do you guys have any final plugs, parting thoughts before we go? I will just ask folks, please visit the Undocu Black Flash Act LaRiff Resource Hub. Once again, that's www.undocublack.org backslash L-R-I-F that has everything um, you as an applicant or you as an attorney might need to know to get started on LARIF applications. Again, the deadline is December 20th of this year. That's approximately two weeks away. Um, and I would say follow the work of UndocuBlack, follow the work of African Communities Together, follow Black immigrant-led organizations for more information and more of the advocacy work we're all doing. All right, you know, seeing none. Uh, thank you both once again for your time today. and. Thank you again. <laughs> Thank you, Trey. All right. Okay.